Welcome to the Life Pro Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of having Brian Kuderna, who is author, CFP, and founder of the Kuderna Financial Team. Today's topic is personal finance, which, uh, you know, I was I was a finance major, so I'm, I'm interested in talking about this. Uh, but before we get started on that, Brian, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show, Amit. I'm excited to talk to you. Likewise. Well, why don't you start out and tell us a little bit more about your journey and what kind of landed you to you know, all these achievements? Yeah, definitely. So I'll try and summarize best I can. Um, but essentially, I'm a Jersey boy, uh, you know, born and raised, uh, you know, on the beach, life garden, that sort of thing. Uh, went to school down at the University of Tampa, eventually transferred up to the College of New Jersey. And that's where I picked up my degree in finance and economics, um, rolled that right into an internship in the industry. In 2008, I started with a uh, independent wealth management firm, um, that kind of gave me the wherewithal to say, hey, go build your own practice. It's going to be hard. You know, you got to kind of, you know, eat what you kill, but uh, get out there, make it happen. And, and I like the challenge. I was all for that. And um, that was in 2008. And I just started, you know, everything from knocking on, literally knocking on door, doors to cold calling, all that sort of thing. And then eventually networking, seminar marketing and growing, growing. Um, and then built my own practice, which is, you know, thankfully done really well. And along the way, it enabled me to pursue other passions like the podcast and the books and lots of other things that um, are all kind of on the periphery of my message of uh, just trying to increase well-being um, in more ways than one, not just money. Great. Um, yep. So getting into our topic, you know, 70% of American populations are stressed about finances while 58% of, of people live from paycheck to paycheck. How does that make you feel? It's, uh, I mean, when you say that, it, it's, how can you not feel bad? I mean, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate when you, you hear that statistic and you, you always question, I mean, statistics are statistics. There's all different ways to massage the numbers. Um, right. But I have heard a lot of polls similar to that. And, you know, I always tell people like, you know, stress is meant for major problems. And, and not that money can't be a major problem for a lot of folks out there. Um, but I always say money's just one spoke of the wheel. You know, there's so much of life that we have to organize and kind of optimize for ourselves. Uh, but money should not be that one that's constantly giving you agita. And I think where people fall in that trap is a combination of lack of financial education, where they go out there in the universe and they're like, man, I don't, I don't understand all this crap that people are throwing at me. I can't read it. It's, it looks like it's in Greek. You know, everything just gets a little bit too convoluted. There's so much information out there that they get overwhelmed. And, and then sometimes they throw their hands up and say, I'm done with it. I'll just live my life. And then it is what it is. So you have that, that lack of financial education colliding with just so much info out there. And then if you merge that with bad habits, you know, that oftentimes are ingrained with people at a very young age. It could have been when they were in high school, you know, paying mind to their parents. Could have been in college when they got a student credit card that they didn't realize they maxed out. And then one thing leads to another. And, um, you know, later in life, we have to play catch up. So uh, I hate to hear that statistic. I don't think it should be that way. We have such a tight labor market. Um, I understand inflation's there, but also wages are, you know, pretty darn high. Um, you know, I think in a lot of states on, on minimum wage now, you, you should be able to actually live. Uh, so I think there's opportunity there. Um, it's just, it's kind of getting all that together, really just understanding inflows and outflows and, and making sure that they match up. 
and, and sometimes confronting that hard reality that sometimes we got to work more or sometimes we have to enjoy less and put it together so that it works for us. Yeah, I would imagine that it's a combination of not earning enough and spending too much and not understanding like how to properly like budget your your money and however way your is income stream is. Mm-hmm. What is I mean, what is your advice for people to find that path to financial security? Not even wealth, just security. Sure, sure. So, you know, some of the basics, I'll answer that in two ways. And in, in the technical sense, just a couple rules of thumb and then full disclosure, like this isn't specific recommendations. I always got to lay that out there for compliance. Right. Um, but these are rules of thumb I like to see is I follow essentially a four-step process in which I say protection first, you know, protect you, your family, your income, your business, your insurances, all those different things, you know, make sure that they're in place before it's an issue and then it's too late. That, that's where you see catastrophe strike. So protection first, then build liquidity. You always hear about emergency funds. If everybody had a proper emergency fund, we wouldn't have 90% of the problems we do. And to me, that's like six months of your expenses. So before you talk about investing, before you want to go buy a new car, before you want to do X, Y, and Z, you just got to say, all right, let me take a half hour and look at my budget. And then let me look at my bank statement. And do I have six times my budget in there? And I think that that's a goal, you know, that especially young professionals should aim for. So you have protection first, build liquidity, and then manage debt. And when I say manage debt, the elephant in the room is credit card debt or any high interest debt uh, that we cannot zero out every month. All right. If we can't eliminate that at the end of the month, we're just we're a victim of our own cause where we're just, you know, bleeding in that interest every month. Uh, So it's critical that we address that. And then the fourth and final step is really the wealth accumulation which is what everybody thinks of as an advisor is, oh, you're investing, you're buying this, buying that. Uh, Certainly is, but we've got to kind of build a foundation before we get there. So as far as path to financial security, I think those four steps, we got to adhere to them. Don't make it more complicated than it is. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, put first things first. You know, I think a a lot of people, um, they don't, They, they, they just, and I understand you get bogged down in life. And you'd be shocked admit if you saw every day the folks I meet with, I'll meet with people worth millions and millions of dollars. I ask them about their budget. They can literally just drop a spreadsheet and tell me what their subscription to Apple TV costs. Right. And then I could ask somebody that says, oh, I'm paycheck to paycheck. There's no way I'm going to get by. All right. Well, you know, what are your expenses like? Oh, I have no idea. And I'm like, this guy's got millions of dollars and every penny's accounted for. And I'm like, relax. We don't need to go that crazy. And then you have lots of times people that are struggling and you ask them a simple question and they're befuddled. And I yeah. think that just goes back to kind of, you know, practicing good habits and, and taking the time uh, to address what's important. And we can argue that the reason that person is wealthy is because they had the proper measures and the proper balancing of their of their budgets um, to yeah. understand what they can afford. What advice do you have for people? You know, they say, um, from what I hear, and I know when to get our loan approvals, you know, your your housing should be at 30% of your revenue. And there's there's a breakdown of like when you created a budget. Uh, are there any resources out there for people to create these spreadsheets on their own if they're not working with a professional like you? Yeah, I think, you know, first step, I, I always recommend people work with a professional just just like you would, you know, if, if you got a major leak in your house. Yeah, you yeah. can try and YouTube it and figure out how to fix it. 
Uh, but it may not work and it may get worse. You know, you might want to just call a plumber and say, okay, it's all yeah. squared away. Uh, I think, you know, working with an advisor and in particular, I'm very big on the CFP, the certified financial planner. Um, yeah. There's enough of us out there. Okay. You can, you can just go find them and make sure they have those credentials. And just uh, to piggyback on that point, something I can't emphasize enough is there's a free resource for everybody called FINRA Broker Check. All right. So if you get referred to someone or you say, oh, this guy seems okay, he's got some points I'd like to follow, just take two seconds, you know, put them in Broker Check. You just enter their name and it'll tell you their whole background. And I always say, when you look for an advisor, look for someone that you want to become. Don't, don't, you know, go on that site and then find someone's just a, a total mess with their own finances or their, their employment history. Um, those things can be very helpful. As far as just easy kind of tools, uh, there's a number out there, you know, I don't really want to endorse, but, um, you know, I always tell people just keep it simple. Okay. It could be an Excel spreadsheet of just kind of my liquid money and my expenses, or you can go onto one of these, you know, websites or lots of advisors have their own software where you can illustrate a lot. Um, I use something called the living balance sheet. That's really cool. Um, but, but there's a lot out there. I think simplicity is probably the biggest thing I try and emphasize. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people that need financial advice and help would think that uh, they can't afford it. What is, what is your answer to people that, that think they can't afford a, a, C, a CFP or an advisor? Yeah, so that, that's a great point. And, and my parents were in that category. You know, they had never even thought of working with an advisor or a broker my whole life. They're like, we don't have that kind of money. You know, we're, we're just getting by. Or like, that's for rich people. Right. And then when I got in the business, I was like, yeah, you know, there's certainly lots of rich people out there that team up with an advisor, but that's not a prerequisite. Uh, there are, I don't know the stat right now, but there are so many licensed financial advisors out there. It would blow your mind. And we're not all working with the 1% or 90% of us would be unemployed. So I think people should not feel deterred by that. Uh, even me and my firm, you know, we have tiers of clients, you know, the way that I've structured my practice, uh, but we make it so everybody can be coached just as well. So even if you're just starting out, we'll make the resources available so you can take that next step to the next tier and then eventually someday maybe to the top tier of our clientele. Uh, and I think there's a lot of firms out there like that uh, in which they're saying you don't need to have a $500,000 minimum deposit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some may have zero or very low minimums and others, you know, they may not charge, you know, consulting fees and whatnot. So that's where they can say, all right, I can have a, you know, a quick half hour call, no pressure, you know, maybe look for those things and feel out some different advisors. Yeah. Um, okay. That's not a hurdle. Sounds good. That's, 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 that's a common misconception for people. Sure. So are, are speaking of misconceptions, um, are there any uh, common traits that you see within your clients or that certain misconceptions that they have or myths about their personal finance or limiting beliefs about what they can achieve when it comes to personal finance that, that we can talk about today? Yeah, I, I think, again, there's a lot, kind of two ways to answer a lot of these questions. I would say from kind of the, the macro view of, you know, where that client can one day become, that's up to their own mindset. You know, if there there was, I think it was T. Boone Pickens, you know, he's, I want to say he made his billions in oil, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he became, he's rags to riches, you know, became a billionaire, literally. And they said, you know, if you lost all your money, what would you do? 
And he said, I just make it back. And it, like, as, and it's it just yeah. with that confidence of like, that's just what I would do. I'd show up tomorrow and start over. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have that mindset of, you know, I'll, I'll just make it work. I'll find something I'm passionate about and then work it until it works. It, you know, the, the world's your oyster. So I think first is kind of that mindset of what do I define as success? Mm-hmm. Spend some time on that and then say, okay, what are my steps to get there? Rather than just every day, just kind of run around on the hamster. Yeah. And then from kind of the technical aspect, um, I think a lot of people, they don't realize how much patience is a part of the game that, yeah, you want to race hard every day, but it's not a race to become a millionaire. Um, you got to enjoy the journey and, and you got to be systematic with your approach. And I think in today's day and age, um, that doesn't sell, you know, you pick up a magazine, you want, you know, four minute abs, you don't want healthy lifestyle in the food pyramid, you want that quick fix. And I think a lot of people look at their money and say, okay, I want to double my hundred bucks rather than learn how to save a hundred bucks a month and have that be exponentially more. So I think those are some of the things just people need to kind of get their head right and and then they can do it. Yeah. And you brought, you bring up a good point. It's like there, there's always a struggle, even for me, you know, it's like when I look at my expenses, uh, I feel the pressure. I'm like, all right, well, either I can cut my expenses or I could focus on making more money. So what do you tell your clients when they're, when they have that struggle of like, all right, do I need to cut my expenses or do I need to make more money? And maybe the answer is both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I always say it comes back to inflows and outflows. And so essentially, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, like, do I cut or do I make more? I always tell people it's up to you. You know, I got, for instance, I have clients that retire and they're like, when I retire, I want to hit every continent. I want to travel the world. I want to, you know, go do the the five-star hotels. They want to do all these things. I'm like, that's perfectly fine. But in order to get there, we're going to have to make a lot of money and we're going to have to save a lot of money, you know, and yeah. then it can be doable. I've got other clients that say, you know, I can't wait to retire. I'm just going to go have a picnic every Wednesday with my wife and we're going to walk this park we love and, and things like that. It's like, okay, well, those are two totally different lifestyles and it's up to that person. So to get there, it's like, you know, if we want the lofty one, well, guess what? You got to work really hard. And and along the way, you got to make sacrifices to build up that nest egg. And that goes for whether it's buying a new car or retiring. And then if you say, you know what, I'll have that hard conversation. I'll look in the mirror and all of a sudden, maybe that that second cruise this month isn't that important. Now, all of a sudden we could say, all right, well, now we can kind of dial back what we need to bring in to, you know, satisfy that need. And that's where, again, it's just matching up inflows and outflows in today's world with the gig economy and and everything like that. I think that's what's so exciting is that you could have that that finer things in life lifestyle and you could be a teacher that says, hey, I'm a teacher, I'm a realtor in the summers, I'm a lifeguard. You know, I've seen these guys where it's like, man, this guy's living it up. But guess what? He's hustling every day. Uh, And and that's where you can kind of do those things in today's day and age. Right. Um, Tell me more about mice. What is mice? Yeah, that's that's become a popular one. Um, So, again, my book came out earlier this year. It's called What Should I Do With My Money? And I'll try and summarize here. It's, It's well laid out in the intro of the book. Um, but MICE is an acronym that stands for money, ideology, compromise, and ego. And so way back when, I think I was in high school, you know, I was debating like getting into law enforcement and stuff like that. 
read a book on the CIA um, and the, the title's slipping me, but actually I have it here on my bookcase somewhere, if you see it in the background. Um, but anyways, I was learning uh, about how they train their spies in the CIA, um, particularly when they go behind enemy lines and kind of embed themselves in these organizations. And so they teach the recruits, they say, one of the things you got to follow is the mice. And then again, money, ideology, compromise, and ego, that everybody has these four triggers that affect our, our decision-making and, and what we do through these motives. And so when I started to research all this stuff through my book and all these different economic domains that kind of dictate everything, I said, we're going to look through it through these four lenses of what's the money motive? What's the ideology that's kind of guiding this? What's that North Star? Where's their compromise? Whether it's between, you know, businesses negotiating or, you know, international governments, you know, competing. Uh, and then ego, that kind of last thing that's that's that selfish kind of I factor or me factor that it seems like everything lines up, but then I, I don't do it. I go this way. I zig instead of zag. Uh, and, and so it was really cool to kind of break down like these these uh, controversial hot button mm -hmm. issues and look at each one of those and say, let's be empirical. Let's be fair with it. Looking through mice. That's that's. Amazing. Can't wait to can't wait to pick it up and read it. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. I could learn a lot. And it's, it's always been, a you know, money has always been so fascinating because to me and from the people around me that have a lot of it, they tend to want more of it. And the people that don't have enough of it, like, you know, are, are fighting and it becomes it could become a, a big problem within a family because of needs and the desire to to sustain a living. But I think we have to understand that we're 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 living in a in a great place with land of opportunity and the ability to mm -hmm. grow uh, and you mentioned it like it's i think we all want to we tend to just want a quick buck we tend to want to be rich overnight and we don't understand that it takes work it takes it's a process and it's a marathon and yeah. uh we have to take it one step at a time and make the right decisions and and be quick to change with our decisions yeah yeah exactly and that's kind of a key thing is like you want to have a plan and a process where like you can agree that North is North, yeah. but you got to be nimble enough where you could say, okay, it's life not is working curveballs. <laughs> and when yeah. it does, I got to be able to kind of uh, adapt yeah. um, rather than fold. So, uh, and that's a lot of what we talk about, you know, in financial planning, like financial planning is really just kind of like a microcosm of life, right. you know, and, and you'll find that a lot. Like the, the, some of the people that are the best with their money, they're in tip top shape or, or they're, they're doing other things. It's, it's kind of like if they have those natural abilities or, or habits, you can overlay them all, you know, on a lot of different things in life. Uh, and so I think that's where, you know, money is just, again, one spoke of that wheel. Yeah. And so I want to talk about debt, debt, because I grew up in a mm -hmm. household where like debt, debt was used to build, but it was always like, a bad thing like you didn't want debt you wanted to be able to like leverage this debt as quick as possible and get out of debt um so you know there's this there's this debate between evil and good and evil using debt for good and evil like explain how debt can be used for good and not evil how how debt could be bad and how debt could be good and you know I don't want to answer the question, but I'll yeah. let you answer. <laughs> no, no. I think you're kind of going down that right path where, um, you know, debt is almost like a multiplier. Okay. So when it's used for a good thing, you know, it, it, it makes more of that good thing. That's ultimately what leverage is. That's the whole point. 
you think about it, you know, in, in America, they say the American dream is to be a homeowner one day to have a place that I could call my own. You know, most of us out there, almost all get to that dream of homeownership through debt. You know, it's, it's very rare if we look at the entire scheme of things that people say, oh, I bought my dream house 100% cash, especially when it's their first one where they're saying now I'm a homeowner. We all do it through a mortgage. <clears throat> and we understand that's just kind of a, a part of the plan. So that's where there's there's good debt, where it's within the realm of our financial plan. It's we understand it. We're taking it on with forethought that we're ready for it. And we understand how to fold that into our budget. And we know that it's bringing value to us, whether it's economic value through our house or whatever else we leverage. Uh, and also that it's giving us an asset that we're going to use and we're going to enjoy. So that's where debt is good, you know, and that's kind of the American way. Everything that we do is built on the back of debt from us going to buy a car to the U.S. government. And it's $33 trillion of debt right now that pretty much created every program that we enjoy today. Uh, so that's where debt is a good thing. Where it's evil is pretty much the exact opposite of everything I just said, where you're saying, OK, I want to use debt, but I don't really understand how it works. I'm not sure if I can afford it or what it's going to be like when it gets here. And the thing that I'm leveraging for, I don't even really know if it's that important. When you have kind of those three things collide, that is the perfect storm. And it happens all the time just because we don't think it through. And then all of a sudden, bang, we bought this car that we're like, ah, I don't even really care for it six months later. And we didn't understand the terms of the agreement that we signed and the interest rate and everything else. And then all of a sudden we take it on and we're like, oh man, it doesn't really fit our budget. Like now we're racking up credit card debt over here, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right. That's where debt is like, man, this is like a, a poison. It just kills you. What do you ever do with debt? So it, it's kind of like they say, you know, money can be a, uh, a terrible master, but a great slave, you know, based on yeah. how you use it for yourself. Yeah. Debt is the same exact. Yeah, and I think what sometimes blurs the lines is when rates get too high and uh, now it's like the cost of debt is debilitating, um, especially mm -hmm. for investments and in certain things when, when we're looking at cap rates and, and returns. And um, yeah. so, I you know, and we're kind of living in interesting times at the moment when it comes to the economy, because, you know, we there's obviously a debate of where this is going to go and if things are going to get worse or things are going to get better and um you know i'm interesting to it's interesting to see how things pan out because nobody really nobody really knows yeah. but we can kind of protect ourselves with having higher higher savings and 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 doing the right things to keep our financial secure exactly and just one thing i want to throw in there that's kind of like a, a side side note to that is you mentioned like we don't know what the future holds and there's all this volatility we never know etc cetera, etc cetera. when people go out there and they say okay i'm going to take on debt whether it's for their car, their mortgage, their credit card, their kids' student loans or whatever, you 99% of the time you can have a fixed rate form of debt or you can have a variable form of debt, okay? In the variable form of debt, sometimes that might be the right way to go. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but in the scheme of things, if we have something that's truly fixed, as life goes on and throws us a million different curveballs, we know at least what that one aspect is that it's fixed. If we have something variable, that's just one more possible monkey wrench that we've kind of thrown in the mix that we don't know just by virtue of it being variable. We don't know what that will look like in the future. Mm -hmm. So 
I think when you talk with people and, and you have all these different unknowns, the more things that you create in a plan that are stable, it can add a value that doesn't have a price tag. It, it's just, it's there and you can count on it. And, and so I think whenever people kind of run out their whole plan, um, there should be some sort of almost mental waiting for, okay, if this is guaranteed either as an inflow or an outflow, at least it's guaranteed. I, I know what to expect with it. Yeah. I, I love that concept. And I, I totally agree. I've always, you know, when I've had mortgages, it's always been fixed rate. And and you're right. That's the only way to budget understanding what your inflows and outflows are in order to get the proper um, savings and, and create that stability in your financial situation. So I think yeah, it's that's almost like great if, if I asked you not to dive down a rabbit hole, but it's like, if I could tell you that whatever you pick it in the future is going to be good or bad, but I could say, hey, Omid, this is exactly what exactly. it's going to be. Right. Would right. you prefer that versus me saying, hey, Omid, it could be bad. It could be good. Who yeah. knows? Have fun. Most people will probably be like, just tell me what it is. Right. <laughs> and I think that's where stability just adds a new value. Yeah. I think people get teased by the initial lower rates of the variable rates potentially. And uh, uh, they get enticed by by taking that. But I would 100% always take the, the fixed rate. And just because to have that certainty uh, in my financial situation and my projections. But again, you know, I'm I'm also a finance guy like you. So numbers, yeah. you know, I make this business decisions based on numbers and not emotions. And that's the yeah. way you, you have to ha handle your budget. Same way. I agree. Yeah. And I would say, you know, teach their own. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but it's right. a consideration. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I read that book 20 years ago for the first time. And then I read it again recently and it meant something completely different. So it's it's amazing where you could read the same book at different times, points in your life and, and basically get something diff completely different from it. And the concept uh, that he really, you know, drives home in the book, a lot of concepts he drives home. But one that really stuck with me is the concept of of not being worried about accumulating wealth and more about net worth. So I'd love to talk about that a little bit before we wrap up. Uh, Let's talk about the concept of net worth versus accumulating wealth. What's the difference? So I'd probably, I've read some of the Kiyosaki books. I'd probably have to go back to see his take on it. But um, I think just you saying that, what it means to me is that net worth is, you know, all of my assets, all my liquid assets, things that I have that are tangible that I can use minus the debt and all the costs of carrying them. And then that's my net worth, whatever the difference is. Whereas wealth, and maybe this is what he's getting at, I don't know, but wealth right. is perhaps saying, all right, I'm just going to build, 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 build my empire, but not looking at the liability column and uh, perhaps ignoring that and saying, okay, you know, so it's almost like, would you rather have a million dollars of assets and 500,000 of debt? And you say, okay, my net worth is half a million. Or would you rather have a hundred million dollars of assets, but ninety nine point nine million dollars of liability? You know, right. you'd probably rather be the little guy, you know, that says, "Hey, I, my net worth is actually higher." Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that was what he was kind of well, underscoring. But. A lot of a lot of it was that his poor dad was just concerned about his paycheck and the amount of money that was coming in versus. His rich dad was just worried about that, like accumulation of his assets, right? And not so much mm -hmm. how much money would, was in his, you know, was was in his coming into his bank account. And 
And his rich dad was focused on building passive income. And his poor dad was just worried about like, you know, generating his non-passive income. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, there was a lot of dimensions to the book, but um, really, I think when, when you look at your, if look at your financial situation, I think it's important to look at, you know, what your, the equity you've built in your house and the, you know, take all of your assets and look at it um, on a macro level, then really focus so much on, you know, what your paycheck is this week. Yep. Yeah. And I think a, kind of a good iteration of that. And uh, I was just trying to think of it, but the title slipping me, slipping my mind. There was an article in the Harvard Business Review. Um, this is probably like 10 years ago, I would say that I just happened to read it. And, and I loved it. I printed it. I was giving it to clients. And it essentially said that, you know, that the old, just what you said, the old retirement of building this big portfolio is dead. And the reason being is, again, there's more variables there. How is that going to hold up over the next 30 years in retirement? You know, how much are we going to spend on it? What's the interest rates going to be in the future? All these unknowns. And essentially what it showed, and I'm paraphrasing here, is they said the millionaire that literally has a million dollar portfolio is actually poorer than the teacher or the police officer that has the $40,000 pension. And when they you actually look at the math of kind of this indefinite, you know, retirement horizon, and then this guaranteed paycheck, usually through our pensions or Social Security, that that type of retirement was often much more comfortable than someone that didn't have any guaranteed inflows, but just said, oh, I saved up a million bucks. And, and it was eye opening to see a lot of people would say, oh, if I could have a million bucks or a $60,000 pension, you know, you pick the numbers. They immediately look and say, oh, millionaire, like that's the way to go. And it was just such a great article that I think really kind of opened a lot of folks eyes to the fact that you need to have, um, you know, inflows. And, and we're all most uh, kind of familiar with that through Social Security. But if you can do more things like that, again, yeah. it just takes pressure off of you when we know that we have a paycheck coming in. Yeah, I would answer like if I could take that million dollars and grow it, then maybe that would change my mind with the with the pension yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's what the the article goes obviously in a lot more detail of of kind of where would that be better than the pension and and just right. pros and cons. But yeah. I think just the comparison was um, you know pretty surprising to a lot of people. Awesome. Well, I've learned a lot and we're coming down to our last three questions. Um, sure. Life Life Pro podcast is the concept is everything in life comes with a manual except for life itself. So that's what we're trying to do here is give people the information to create a better life for themselves moving forward, not worry about what's happened in the past, learn from the past and move, move on and do better, bigger and better things. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, what would you like to teach the world? Oh, man, that's a big question. So it, you know, what you just said, I, I think you, you said it so eloquently. I love kind of the motto of your show. Um, in many ways, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do, uh, you know, in, in my own way. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith, so I'm, I'm trying to do good by doing good. Um, you know, I try and look at, at the big picture and not just kind of within my own bubble. And that's why I do things like my podcast and also like the book is I feel that that can give me much further reach than what I individually can ever just touch. And that's my favorite part of being an author is, you know, when I just get that random email from some guy across the country, then I'm like, I'll never, ever meet this guy ever. But he says, oh, I loved in that chapter when you told that story about X, Y, and Z. 
and it, it may be something so small that I'm like, oh, I didn't, I hardly even remember writing that one. But for whatever reason, at that person's point in life, it hit them and it helped them, you know, take a new outlook or a new exercise into what they're doing. So, you know, what I always say, and I bring this up again in my book, what should I do with my money, is I define wealth as a state of well-being. And it, it comes from an old English word, wheel, W-E-A-L, which just means well-being. And so I always go back to that. And, and I feel that as I'm an advisor to clients that, again, money is one spoke of the wheel. It often evolves into like this therapy session where, yeah. uh, you know, I'm listening more than I'm talking right now, but I'm hearing about them, their business, their families, their history. And there's so many different stresses, but good things and bad things. And, um, you know, I feel like I, right now at this stage of life, like I can help a lot of folks with financial know-how. Uh, that's what I've been trained in. Um, but I think that's just kind of my one little thing to say, hey, I'll help you here, you know, take that pressure off so you can go focus on other things in life. And professionally, that's where I can do good. And then I have, you know, a lot of things outside of that, obviously, that I pursue. I love that. And it just, you know, if we all do a little bit of good every day, imagine just like compound interest, like the mm -hmm. world would be in such a better place if we all just had that like drive to just do one, even if it's one little good thing every day, it just... Yeah. It accumulates to, to a better world and a better life for all of us. Yeah. And I think it's, just if, if I could add to that, and I know it almost sounds kind of a little corny or cliche when we say it that way, but it, it's so true. You know, it's, it's so basic yeah. and it's so true. And one thing I've tried to do too in my life is I heard from somewhere, I don't remember who said it, but he said, try to meet everyone with charitable and, and charitable assumption. And so what he meant by that is like when somebody brings an idea to you, whether you agree with it or it's something that's like, I don't know what he's talking about, try and meet it with charitable assumption and say, okay, they're coming, trying to do good and the same thing we're trying to do. And I feel like when you, you meet different people through life like that, it opens up so many more doors yeah. because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people I would disagree with, but that doesn't mean that they ha don't have the same exact end goal in mind of doing good it's just maybe we're kind of speaking two different languages and not connecting so yeah. i think that's where i try to always remain the optimist and uh yeah. just see how can we get more of the good people on the same page essentially yeah i agree and we, we live in a skeptical society in the world of spam calls constantly and everybody mm -hmm. trying to scam us it's tough to really be look at people on a positive side on on that optimism but i think that if we do adapt that philosophy, we definitely will benefit from it 100%. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to read your book, but is there a book that maybe you read in your life that uh, impacted you or kind of stands out in your mind? So it's funny. I, I do a lot of these and, and I get asked that question a lot. And people who follow me are going to be like, man, what's Brian talking about? Because like every time I say something different and... Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge reader. Like I, I love reading. Um, I've built, so I have kind of like my habit now where I wake up pretty early in the morning before anything's going mm -hmm. on. I'll just have a cup of coffee and I try and read for like about a half hour. That's and um, I love doing it. I've been doing it for a couple of years and it, along the way I've cranked out tons of books, but around about answer to your, excuse me, to your question. Um, the only one that's coming to mind right now is because I just finished it was uh, the divine comedy by Dante. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, it's a classic piece of, of literature of poetry, actually, that never in a million years did I think I would read. Uh, it's 900 pages. 
but it takes you through, you know, the Inferno, the most famous part, and then Purgatorio and then Paradiso. And you look at each one of these and it was really cool because what he tried to do was take human reason or revelation and divine reason. And so he kind of took like all his favorite philosophers of, you know, from Greek mythology to Roman philosophy and so forth. And he took all them and then he kind of merged that into religion and what was going on in the Bible. And so he has Virgil is kind of like his philosophy guide. And then he's, he kind of does like this, this huge tour of like diving through your mind and good and evil and what's right and what's wrong, both from what we understand from like kind of a human standpoint, but then also maybe where kind of the divine standpoint fills those gaps. Um, it's a really, really like thought provoking book <laughs> and it's written in such a way it's complex, but it there's, it's fun. You pick up different things each time you look at it. Um, so I can't say it's my favorite, but it's what I just read most recently. Yeah. It's fine comedy. And it left an impression on you, which is, you know, that's all we can yeah. want from, from books. You know, it's like, uh, there's nothing like that feeling when you, when you read a book and it just really gets your mind going. It just really like brings out the best in you and kind of gets you going in, in life. And, yeah. and yeah, it has I, that impact. Um, one of my early clients, like when I was, I was young, I'm like 23, 24 years old, just getting started. And um, she said, you know, Brian, this is our first meeting. She goes, Brian, I don't want to know what you know. Just tell me what questions should I be asking you? <laughs> and I never had a client say that. And I'm like, huh. Like, <laughs> she, she just comes in saying, I don't know. Tell me what questions to ask you. Yeah. And it just always left an imprint. And this the, the point I'm getting at is like this book I just read. Each morning, I, I'd read a couple of the cantos, which were like the mini chapters. And it, I'd walk away and I had like three new questions that I was like, man, I want to find out what happened to this guy or why this philosopher thought this way or it it was cool because it it just while it was one book it kind of like fed into so many other thoughts yeah Uh, so i think building more good questions is always pretty cool i love it because you know we don't we don't know what we don't know and Mm -hmm. it's it's that that's why we that's why we come to see advisors and and gurus in every aspect of our lives and we have to work together with you know, with everybody's knowledge, uh, and and take those knowledges from from the books that we read and and make it our own knowledge. Um, exactly. So, last question for the day: how could how could people reach you or follow you? Yep. Yeah. So um, they can follow me anywhere on social media on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, it's just B Kaderna, or if they just search my last name, it'll probably pop right up. I'm always sharing my content there on social media. I have my podcast podcast my show is the Kaderna podcast they can subscribe anywhere there's podcasts or on YouTube um, and then as far as you know I have three books I have Millennial Millionaire I have Anarok which is the the fantasy novel mm. and then my latest what should I do with my money um, which is available in paperback audio book or Kindle they even put it on CD I don't know why but they did I know those are a thing anymore, (laughs) Um, but if you search, what should I do with my money? Um, You know, I I really kind of put everything I think about and that I know into that book. It's kind of like any secrets secrets I've put out there. Um, So I really hope more and more people read that and spread the good word. I definitely will be reading it myself. I'm more of an audible guy, so I'll be listening. Did you narrate yourself? No. So it's uh, funny. I, I had uh, McGraw Hill was my publisher and they had already um, secured like another company that did the reading. Yeah. I would have okay. loved to. I, I think that's where. Yeah. I think you would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. But um, 
you know, it's all good. So it's kind of more team approach. We had this, uh, another gentleman that read it, uh, that's an actor and stuff. So, you know, it came yeah. out great. I'm sure it's great. And I can't wait to check it out. Uh, I had so much fun today. You know, you got my juices flowing too, and I appreciate your time. This was really fun. Yeah. Thanks. Ahmed. Appreciate it. I want to remind everybody to like, follow and share, help us spread the word. Take care, Brian. You too. Bye-bye.